I, I love I love me some Daddy Thanos, but you know I I'm you know trying to understand. You know that's gonna be the clip right there. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of the Clever Kids Podcast, uh, the podcast where everything is made up and the points don't matter. Oh wait, that's the TV show, Whose Line Is It Anyway? Uh, This is a weekly pop culture podcast where three brothers dive into different pop culture topics, kind of say what's on our mind, say our opinions, because this is a platform where, you know, only our opinions matter. So uh, buckle up. Tyler is out today, uh, so I will be your co-host, Brian. I'm also here with my younger brother, Jeff. Hey, what's up, guys? And we're just going to dive into uh, kind of a pivot this week. Um, we were going to be talking about award season uh, snubs. And uh, we're just going to pivot um, with Tyler being out. We live in the uh, Pacific Northwest, Tyler and I do, and um, he's having a heck of a time. Uh, he lives uh, in Portland itself, and about 250,000 people are down there without power right now, including, including at Tyler's house. And uh, I believe his car is also stranded in the snow across town from him. So he's having a, a rough go of it. So uh, we're going to get the podcast in, but uh, it's going to be Tylerless. Um, so probably uh, you'll see an uptick in quality. Uh, but don't worry, we'll be back to our usual low quality production next week. Uh, this week, I, I was just throwing this idea at Jeff. Uh, I've mentioned on the recent podcast that my wife and I have taken on the endeavor of watching all of the major Marvel films in order, starting with um, Captain America number one, because it happened in nineteen in the 1940s, and proceeding all the way through Avengers Endgame, uh, where um, Big Daddy Thanos is trying to finish his quest to snap half of life out of existence. Technically, um, Spider-Man Far From Home takes place after Endgame, but that's cool. But that's the next generation that hasn't been finished. So right now the quest is through Endgame. Stop chapping my ass. Um, what I wanted to do is just kind of talk about what I've been noticing so far um, during this watch through and kind of dive into some of the topics um, that have popped up as I've been watching and I've been kind of looking to talk to, to Jeff, who's our resident um, you know, superhero expert and kind of pick his brain, maybe push back as the, uh, the voice of the casual viewer that, you know, Deserves a better understanding of, of exactly why things are the way they are in the Marvel Marvel Universe, if that's fair. Um, I will say uh, we're going to avoid a WandaVision discussion today because I have not seen the newest oh. episode. I, I did I did watch the first 10 minutes of it and fell asleep. So um, that one's going to be tabled for next week when Tyler returns. And uh, we can dive into a two-episode discussion um, after next week's episode. So uh, without further ado, my current progress in the Marvel... Uh, chronological binge watch is what I'll call it for lack of a better term. Um, as of last night, we're about halfway through Guardians of the Galaxy 2. So uh, I'm going to pull up the um, chart here where um, you know I, I have the chronological order listed, and I'll tell you the last few films that we went through. Uh, basically, I think the last time we spoke, I was working my way through a combination of Iron Man films. Um, there's a, a point after... Captain America and Captain Marvel, which are the first two, where uh, you dive into Iron Man 1 and Iron Man 2 back-to-back. And I'm finding out very quickly here that 
I don't really like watching the same heroes twice in a row. I kind of like getting the reprieve of getting to watch a, a different setting and a different set of actors. Um, and I'm saying that because now I'm working my way through Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and 2 back to back. And by the time we get to number two, we're almost talking about breaking chronological order and, and moving on to the next film. Uh, but we decided to persevere last night um, because we're tried and true adventurers that will see this thing through to the end. Uh, they should make badges for this accomplishment, by the way. This is not easy. It's a lot of Marvel. It's a lot of Marvel. <laughs> have you ever gotten, have you ever thought about going through this? I mean, I've seen every single episode more than, or every single movie more than once. I haven't went through and watched them all chronologically, but I can quote most of them from beginning to end. So I don't really see the point, but um, I, I probably will one day. First things first, it's a game changer, man. I got to tell you, like, I, I made a point in the last one where we had watched um, Iron Man 2. And there's a part, a part where uh, Agent Coulson of S.H.I.E.L.D. Is, uh, has uh, Tony Stark on house arrest while he, like, tries to, like, S.H.I.E.L.D. is trying to force him to figure out the, uh, the new element. And, and they're trying to get him to, like, look through his dad's old belongings. And then all of a sudden, halfway through the house arrest, he turns to him and says, hey, I'm being reassigned to New Mexico. And what he's referring to is going out to deal with the, the first arrival of Thor in the New Mexico desert. And... I think it was our first time going, huh, that's so funny because in Thor, you see Coulson arrive just as they are uh, taking all of Natalie Portman's technology that she's like her scientific equipment that she's using to try to figure out the Einstein Rosen bridge or the Bifrost bridge that Thor rides down to earth. And it's kind of cool to see Coulson in that scene because it's literally as if the dude jumped on a plane in your last movie that you were watching and then has arrived and we've just seen like the, you know, him step off the plane in like the same outfit essentially, you know, and it's, it's a really cool way to watch it because I think the other thing that is taken for granted is these movies kind of came in like patchwork. I don't think they came out in chronological order unless I'm mistaken. And therefore, you know, you wouldn't have seen these in this order unless you force yourself to sit down and do a rewatch. They definitely and, didn't come out in chronological order. I remember watching Iron Man 2 in theaters. This was before anything had been confirmed. The only teaser that we'd had of anything was Nick Fury showing up at the end of Iron Man 1. Um, and then in Iron Man 2, they had like a moment where Iron Man is trying to lift up this coil that he's created. And he goes through a box and uh, Coulson's holding a, a framework Captain of Captain America's shield. shield. He goes, that is so perfect. Bring it over here. Bring it over here. And he's like, you know what this is? And he goes, yep, it's exactly what I need. And he lifts up the coil. And he slides the shield underneath. And Tyler and I yeah. looked at each other, and as we walked away from the film, Tyler and I were talking about, does that confirm that they were going to make a Captain America? Because nothing had been confirmed yet. They hadn't casted anything. And we were talking about how they would do it. And Tyler was saying at the time that he wished that they don't do a solo Captain America film, that they do an Avengers film first, and then work their way backwards with flashbacks of Captain America. And of course, I, I argued for the way that they ended up doing it because I'm correct, but... Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, so at that time, they definitely did not release it in chronological order. And it's really interesting because, you know, it, it kind of like, it, it makes you realize how genius these, the, the production of these movies has been because you see things in movies that were produced years before others that hint at the movie that they ended up producing down the road. Um, everything with uh, uh, Nick Fury's eyeball. And then you see in Captain Marvel, which is the second movie in the chronological order, but it's one of the last movies or the most recent movies produced, you know, like they kind of did the, uh, the Hudson time machine thing where they're kind of hinting at how his eyes going to get lost. And then right at the end of the, the Flurgan scratches him or whatever. Yeah. Well, he has a it's line in, interesting. He has a line in winter soldier where Kevin Rack's like, you need to trust people. And he's like, last time I trusted somebody, I lost an eye. 
I was about to say that because it, it's kind of interesting because that almost feels like a disjointed part. Like it's almost like it breaks the canon a little bit because it, it that line was delivered before the Flurgan incident. And sure. yet, you know, it doesn't really match up because it's like, what, what do you mean you trusted the cat? I don't really understand what you're right. hinting at there. Um, other than the fact that him and the cat were doing this like little mini superhero team up and killing all the bad guys. Yeah. And so I guess you could, I guess you can make the line work, but there definitely is some parts where it's a little bit shoddy patchwork you know, putting the puzzle pieces together. But for the most part, you know, you watch it and it's pretty seamless as far, like as much as you could ask of them in a 20 movie series, it's, it's pretty impressively seamless. And I got to tell you, if anyone ever, you know, you know, endeavors to go down this chronological viewing, um, you'll enjoy it. And it, it actually enhances the viewing experience because you see these little hints of things that you're like, Oh my gosh, that totally ties in the one we just watched. Um, we watched uh, uh, Thor one where they've got the destroyer at the end of the film. That's kind of like the antagonist, you know, other than Loki. And then later Coulson's got the, the, the gun that's been modeled after him that he shoots Loki with. And then, you know, when he, when he dies in Avengers one and like, you don't really have an, as much of an appreciation for it when you watch you know, Avengers as, as a standalone, but when you watch Thor and then two movies later, you watch Avengers and he's got this gun that's modeled after him. he's like, yeah, you know, after that thing arrived in New Mexico town and kind of was rampaging around, we decided to try to model a gun after it. And you're like, totally, I, I totally get it, man. Like, that's right. awesome. Right. And it so, totally fits the theme of Avengers too, with shield adopting the hydro technology. Like, of course they would be adopting other technologies into weapons as well. Yeah. Well, and it's also awesome to watch Captain America one where they've got the hydro gun, uh, the hydro equipment um, under the Red Skull. And then you see in uh, Avengers 1 where they're all arguing in the lab about it. And it's like, I totally get where Captain America would have this big reaction because, um, you know, it's it's very real for him. It was, it was probably, it was only a few months ago that he was fighting those dudes in his mind. Right. Even though it's been like 70 years, you know, like all of a sudden he's like, dude, like I don't trust you guys as far as I can throw you. You know, right. And, you know, I, I, I think it's, it's, it's really put it in perspective for me how timeless this series is going to end up being because these movies have been put together so well. I've said it before, maybe not on this podcast, but uh, I think that the Marvel Cinematic Universe is the most ambitious cinematic event ever attempted and achieved. I, I, if you even like the origins of the cinema of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, if I can geek out here for a second, are so incredible. Because Marvel, I believe, created Marvel Studios in 2008 before they were ever bought by Disney. And they threw, they were almost bankrupt. They, Marvel had gone bankrupt or almost declared bankruptcy in the early 2000s as a comic book company. They, get, they end up surviving because of the, the comic community rallying around them. They throw a bunch of money into a production studios. They decide that the first movie that they're going to back their entire studio's weight on, if this movie fails, they go under is Iron Man, who up until this point was just kind of a B-class hero. Like, yeah, he's on the Avengers, but the Avengers wasn't an A-list selling comic in comparison to, like, the X-Men or Superman or Batman. Like, people knew who Iron Man was, but no one outside the community did it. Right? It's not like making a superhero movie. Everyone knows who Superman is. He's been on TV shows and, and films. You got a little shitty 1980s Iron Man cartoon that no one watched, but not Captain America, you know, not the Hulk, not these big A-list, they decide to throw in, I mean, I guess they've made Hulk films in the past, but Marvel Studios' first production is Iron Man. And the person that they decide to cast in the role of Iron Man is Robert Downey Jr., who is, up until this point, 
a hot mess. I mean, yeah, he had already gone through recovery at this point, but no one was willing to give Robert Downey Jr. a shot. And the person that they bring in as the director is John Favreau, who until this time was untested. He'd been an actor and he had been directing small movies, but they're, they're like, we're a brand new studio that no one wants to work with. So we're going to throw in an untested director with an actor that has been proven to fail on a character that nobody knows. And for them to walk away with this success, I remember watching Iron Man 1 in theaters, not knowing what to expect, not knowing anything about the characters and getting butterflies as the theater was clapping when Iron Man did his first flight. Like that was my first time in theaters where I had a, an audience actually give a round of applause to some kind of an emotional reaction on yeah. screen. Woo! Exactly. Yeah. Like people are clapping and I was like, is this what happens? Like this has never happened in a film before when he does his first flight. It was, it was incredible. Um, and yeah, for them, I will say this, like, look, this isn't a movie studio podcast. This isn't anything about producers podcasting are us. Like this is just a pop culture podcast, but I will say that is a message that needs to be, more known and widespread and understood like what was it that allowed them to succeed it was a small studio that didn't have a whole lot of clout didn't have a whole lot of pull that just let these guys run with their creative genius right and i'm talking favreau yeah i mean that guy very clearly has had a huge imprint on the series the other person is robert downey jr i mean like that guy's personality shines he's not some you know, like niche actor that's like just being told what to do in every scene. It's very clear that they just let that guy run with it because when you see that guy in real life, he's a lot the same person. Right. And I mean, it's just, he, he's and that's, about, that's the real success of these, you know. He's talked about before how important it was that it was a redemption arc for his first film to come back to cinema um, because it was a redemption arc for himself as the actor um, to be able to personify, you know, Overcoming a guy who needed a redemption arc. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, because Tony Stark literally follows in the same way. Like he's this guy that's just making his money off like war profiteering, and then he has this moment where he, you know, he's at his lowest low, and then he bounces back and is and finds his his purpose, right? And that's the same thing with with Robert Downey Jr. Really beautiful. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, I will say something about Drax. I kind of want to start with Drax the Destroyer here. Okay. Um, I'm going to shit on him a little bit. Sure. Okay. Because the, when we meet him, the guy seems very intimidating, daunting. Everyone at the prison's afraid of him. This guy's like king of the jail, right? But I got to say he's the weakest one of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Is that fair? Is that a fair statement? Strength-wise? Like in a fight? Like if they were all put into a room and, you know – only one person can walk out. Drax is the first one going down. Okay, sure. Is that fair? Uh, I think Quill, probably. Um, Quill Quill fights, dude. Like, I've watched him in those films. Quill's a fighter, man. He's great with a gun. He's he's smart and savvy, like, with improvisation. Like, he gives Gamora a hell of a time when she's trying to steal this stone from him when they first meet. Drax, on the other hand, is, is extremely reckless he doesn't inflict a whole lot of damage. He just kind of has the, the double dagger approach and he's just chaotic otherwise. I will say when they're crash landing in number two and he's like hanging outside of the ship, the dude hits trees at like a thousand miles an hour and stands up and laughs. So I don't, I don't really know what that says about his endurance or his ability to take hits. But, you know, that's something else I was going to get into is the durability of these dudes because that was ridiculous. But 
for the most part, Drax is kind of weak. He's really just comedic relief, and he doesn't really add much in the way of like a physical threat in their confrontations. Is that fair? Yeah. I mean, it, in the comic book interpretation, they're the very origins of Drax the Destroyer. It's a little lame, but essentially it's about a guy who gets killed by Thanos. Um, his body, his soul gets separated from his body, and someone who hates Thanos takes this soul and puts it inside of a, a body that he has assembled specifically for the purpose of killing Thanos. And so wow. he, he takes this, this man named Arthur who died and he says, Thanos killed you. Here is a body for you to get your revenge. Um, and, and I think the, the, the body is, is what is called Drax. And I, and if I remember right, the comic book up the, at the point when they actually do the infinity wars in the 1980s in the comics, maybe in 19, I don't know. Um, the, the person that is inside Drax's body is actually Gamora's father, I want to say, who at that point was not uh, Thanos' daughter. I mean, Thanos adopted Gamora in the films even, but that Gamora has a biological father who got killed by Thanos and his soul gets put in the Drax body, um, but he's like mentally stunted. I don't know. Um, yes, I will agree that Thanos is probably the weakest of the, um, not, not only personality-wise. Drax. Yeah, Drax. sorry. Drax is, is the weakest, not, not only personality-wise, but, um, I mean, it, it all depends on the situation. I think that Drax could take Quill, and I think that Drax could take Rocket, depending on how much uh, prep time Rocket is given. You know, if they just get dropped into a room yeah. and Rocket's scrambling to go to assemble again, and Drax is like, it's it's over, right? It's not like he's going to beat him in a fight. Um, I was going to say you can't choose Rocket without Groot being involved, but I will say Rocket does more than enough on his own. Rocket's extremely useful with his engineering abilities, but if he doesn't have anything to engineer, he's not going to be worth much. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, for some reason on this this last rewatch, and, and this is fresh because I've been watching the last like two days, the Guardians of the Galaxy ones back to back, but Drax for some reason has struck me as completely useless to sure. Groot for the most part. Like, Any he, role he just, that he, he fills. seems like, especially like, like picture number one. Like he's he's all over the place. He doesn't listen to anybody. He's overly cocky. And then he calls out Ronan and Ronan just curb stomps his ass. Right. Right. And then in number two, like literally at the start of the film, they're fighting this giant thing with tentacles and, sh and stuff. And Drax literally decides to, because the skin is too thick on the outside, that he needs to get into the beast to cut it up from the inside, which is stupid because his skin is the same thickness. So he jumps into its open mouth. And starts stabbing it from the inside and is just completely ineffective. Right. Like, I, I don't know. I was just watching him and was like, man, like, if you weren't worth a laugh, like, I'd be kind of questioning why you're even a part of this story. You know what I mean? So I, so I looked at that briefly. Um, Drax's daughter survives the accident and ends up becoming a superhero on the planet of Titan. Her name is Moondragon. It's not Gamora. And I don't know if Gamora is actually part of the... Um, yeah, she's not on the Guardians of the Galaxy when they do the Infinity Wars and... Um, Infinity Crusade Gamora. comics. Gamora, is it? Uh, I don't remember her being there when I read the comics. Nebula's there. She, she has a massive role. We can go over the comic storylines if you want. but that's We don't we need to get there. that deep. It's, it's, it's just more of a, a quick dive in to try to understand sure. some of these characters. It's more than just the, uh, the pop culture hype sure. that they ride sometimes. Um, yeah, I wanted to crap on Drax. I wanted to touch, touch on Ronan, too, while we're on that storyline, because... Having watched Marvel so recently and then realizing that the Marvel storyline kind of ties in with Guardians of the Galaxy in that they both have a lot of Kree civilization uh, involvement. I'm trying to understand that a little bit more. So if I'm not mistaken, Captain Marvel 
uh, gets found by the Kree civilization, who are a, a powerful civilization, like a very advanced technology civilization that are ruled by a supreme intelligence, which yep. is like an AI in the future that hasn't decided to kill the entire species and has decided to just govern them and tell them who else needs to be killed in order yep. for them to thrive. A planet, I believe, named Hala, something like that. Right. So Captain Marvel becomes one of their kind of soldiers under the tutelage of Jude Law, although they are normal-looking white people and not blue people. And then um, they're hunting and exterminating those green people, and she finds out about it and protects them and blah, blah, blah. Flash forward to Guardians of the Galaxy 1 with Ronan, the accuser. He's Kree as well. Mm-hmm. He is, he is hell-bent on exterminating or committing genocide against Xandar, which seems like another, like almost like Earth, uh, you know, two or three hundred years from now or something like that, or maybe yep. even further along. And he's just hell-bent on killing the Xandarians. And he's also Kree, except for he's blue. And it seems like he's more of like an ancient Kree lineage that is, um, you know, he almost like like represents the religious sect sure. in the future, where he's almost seen as like this culty, like kind of crazy dude. And I just don't understand how he's Kree and then Jude Law is also Kree, but they look nothing alike and they're very clearly a different species. Right. Why Jude Law is not blue, I don't know. Um, that is an excellent point. As far as I know, all of the Kree representations that I've seen in the comics, they're blue, they've got like Mohawks, they're, they're kind of weird. Um, the Kree and the Skrull are constantly at war with each other. The Skrull is the other, the shape-changing race that you see in Captain Marvel. They're the ones that seem to be the bad guys at the beginning of the film, and by the end you realize they're actually victims. Um, the Skrulls have been at war with the human race multiple times. Uh, in the comics, you get a, con- a concept called the Secret Wars, in which you find out that a large portion of the human race has actually been replaced by Skrulls that have taken their shape and continued living their lives and are planning on like taking over the world. And so there's this huge... Uh, secret war where they're tr- they, all the superheroes are trying to figure out if the people that they've been working with are aliens or not, and if they can be trusted. Um, so you have the scrolls there as well. In the comics, uh, Peter Quill's father is not Ego, the living planet. His father is actually the king of this massive intergalactic Roman Empire called the Spartax Empire, and and Peter Quill is technically a, a prince of that empire, um, and they did not go with that route. Uh, and then you also have an alien race called the Shi'ar, which is very, very predominant in the X-Men storylines. Um, all of these are, and then you also have the Xandarians, which, uh, as you see in the films, are, are protectors of the um, Nova Corps. Um, and all of those are actual planets represented. I thought the, the Nova, I thought the Nova Corps was their military. It is. Like it's, okay, so the Nova Corps is a protector of Xandar. It's, it's, it's a Xandarian force. Got you. Okay. So a lot of uh, complex uh, intergalactic kind of space. Yeah. yeah. 1970s, 1980s for the, for the Marvel and DC comic universe, they were like really jumping into space. That's where you get the expansion of the Green Lanterns core. That's where you get um, a lot of the different uh, stuff for the DC universe as well. Um, hey, whatever sells, right? You got to follow the waves. Yeah. So, so it's just interesting. And the reason why we're highlighting this is because, you know, Captain Marvel's you know, very recent. Guardians of the Galaxy is a few years old now, but those two tie together very closely, um, but in a subtle manner. 
like you don't really even realize that Ronan is coming from the same civilization that Jude Law and Captain Marvel's like fighting team was. The only thing that made me even realize they were the same, even though there's dialogue talking about them both being Kree, is uh, uh, what's that guy's name from uh, Gladiator? Ronus Grasu or whatever, you know that actor? Oh, yeah. You're talking about um, uh, Corvus is his character. You're talking uh, about... He's like Gladiator's buddy. Yeah. In, in, or he's a... Uh, the character Maximus that he plays in the Marvel Gladiator. Universe. The character that he plays in the Marvel Universe is Corvus. Okay. So he's on the fighting group that Captain Marvel is a part of, that she and Jude Law are in, in, in Captain Marvel in the beginning. He later is the right-hand man of Ronan in Guardians of the Galaxy. Right. Or I guess technically earlier because that movie came out first. That was the tie that made me go, wait a minute, this is the same civilization. And right. I wouldn't have caught that if I hadn't watched those movies so closely together. And I guess for me, I, I'm suddenly like, wait a minute, he's not blue. He's still the same skin color. And therefore, I, like, I'm just stuck on on Ronan. Why he looked like, uh, what's his face, the leader of the Ravagers? Like, sure. Like, is that guy Cree? So I just searched it. Because this is something that I, I didn't know. Apparently, for the films, what they explain is that the Kree bodies are adapted to environmental characteristics on Hala. The original Kree had blue-colored skin, but a second racial group with pink skin, uh, resembling that of the human Caucasians, emerged over the millennia. So it's an evolutionary trait where I guess they just evolved. So, so Ronan is OG Kree. Sure. And everyone else is more modern Kree, is yeah. what I'm understanding. What about... Um, uh, What's the leader of the, the Ravagers with the arrow? Uh, Yondu. What about Yondu? Is he Kree? I I mean, he's got a similar... So Yondu is one of the original... Yondu in the comics is one of the original members of the Guardians of the Galaxy. The original Guardians of the Galaxy didn't include Quill and, and Drax and all of that. It was like four other people. And Yondu had a bow and arrow. This was in the 1970s. Um, and... and hasn't been in comics for many years and so the fact that they decided to include him as uh peter quill's uh adopted father is interesting and the whole whistling arrow concept is very fun the way that they use it but um whether or not he was originally kree uh maybe i just looked it up so he's a, a species called centaurian which they don't dive into his parents sold him to the kree empire at a young age so he was actually a slave of the kree empire but he's not a kree so whether that explains his skin color or not, who cares, I guess. But it is interesting to hear about Ronan because it does kind of fill in his background too, where he's just hell-bent on this ancient traditional way of decree. Um, anyway, something else we just touched on there that I want to dive into before we get off this particular topic. Peter Quill's god lineage or uh, celestial lineage. It, it, it's something that's hinted at in Guardians of the Galaxy 1 where there's something different about him, his genealogy, then they hint at it in the beginning of number two, and then it becomes the main storyline of the rest of the movie. Right. Where his, where his father is a celestial named Ego, who is actually a planet. I, I would more aptly describe him, I think, as a like a being or a deity that has the ability to he's a, create... He's a celestial, is what they call it, refer to him as. Celestial, sure. Do, does anything happen with Peter's ability to be a celestial? Or did, oh, he sacrifices the power at the end of the movie. Is that what his? They they explain in the second being alive, film he can't be a celestial. They explain that his powers, all of the powers that he discovers in the second film, are directly tied to his father. His father is the source of them. So when his father is destroyed, the powers disappear. 
So let me ask you something. Let's play out some scenario where Peter Quill manages to imprison his dad on this planet, but maintain the power. How much more of a force does Peter become in the rest of the movies? Uh, like, does he just pancake Thanos by himself? Like, what are we talking here? No. I mean, if you look at Ego's power set, he doesn't do anything like... Well, he flies around like a god in that end fight. Like, they're freaking blasting each other and, like... Yeah, but that's within his, like, solar system. I don't know if he would have that same extent of power flying around on someone else's uh, environment. I don't know. I, I, I don't think so, right? Because what we're seeing Ego do is manipulate his own crust to do things, like create sculptures and hit them with pillars of earth and stuff. It's like, cool, but that's all it, him manipulating his own flesh, essentially. Um, it's not like he would be able to fly to earth and be able to summon a pillar of earth to hit someone with. Uh, are you sure about that? No, because that's are not how... Are you sure about that? Ego in the comics doesn't work anything like that. Ego is just a celestial body that flies around and talks to people and tries to eat them when they land on the surface. He's, he's not this extremely destructive force that can consume so other not, planets. So he's not like the uh, the guy from Green Lantern, or Galactus or whatever. No. Nothing what, like that. What is, hold on a second. Let, let's back up here because I'm getting kind of confused with all these world-eating people there's galactus which one is he in he's in green lantern right uh no so galactus is from fantastic four Two: the silver surfer that's where you see yeah so he's the world leader that's coming in and then we have what's the guy from green lantern the guy from green lantern is uh what do they call him it's, i understand it's a different universe people don't it's don't completely pan. different universe and it's technically what's that guy's name in the i'll think of it just give me a second it's Here, uh it. um, guy from green lantern it's it's annoying because the the what that parallax what parallax that's his name um parallax in the comics isn't a world force that goes around destroying planets parallax in the green lantern universe is when the green lantern's home city gets blown up and everyone he loves dies so he goes to the green lantern corps and says let me bring back my city using the power of will and they say no and he gets driven insane and takes all of the power that he needs to, to rebuild his city and it drives him insane and he turns into a supervillain and calls himself parallax and start killing people. Right. And then we have Dormammu in Doctor Strange. Yep. Which is yep, massive demon of a different uh, different universe. So, yeah. But really, they're all the same thing. Right? I mean, no. Let Dormammu me, ask, let me has... ask you something. Let me ask you something. I, I have a giant hyperbolic time chamber. And I put Dormammu, Parallax. What's the dude from uh, the other one? Galactus. Oh, I his name. Galactus. And ego, the living planet in there, who walks out if only one can leave. <laughs> I'd say Galactus. <laughs> I, I honestly why between why? those. So the only person that really stands a chance in that like Parallax is uh, is if you go with the comic book interpretation, it's just a man with a fuck ton of power. Um, but if you're going with the, the the movie interpretation, he gets thrown into the sun and he gets killed. Galactus absorbs suns, so I, I'm not worried about ego or by Parallax doing anything. Ego himself is just a planet. He's not going to be able to... Dormammu, to... I've come to bargain. Dormammu is a threat, but Dormammu, if you look at... if you're gonna, like, So Marvel and DC Universe have a lot of comparisons when you hold them side by side. Dormammu's comparison is Trigon, which is Raven's father. He's this interdimensional conquesting demon um, that has three eyes. He's this massive badass. He and Dormammu are kind of the same. Wait, he's a big old being? Like intergalactic being? Massive oh, red cool. he's, fucking demon. He's also... He's also in the room too. That sure. Who, who's walking out, man? Just give me a name. I would still say Galactus. Uh, wow. 
So Galactus's storyline, if I remember right, he existed. He is a, a remnant from a previous universe that that universe died and ended. He survived. And then the Big Bang happened. And he is one of the remnants that has carried over from previous universe. So he's an infinity stone with, with eyes. Kind of. That can consume it's, entire planets. Like He's, been let, he's is, been let out of the gem and given a conscience. <laughs> but what happened is, is Parallax and Dormammu would be fighting, and then they would look over and they would see Galactus eating Ego. <laughs> be like, holy <laughs> fucking shit. Okay. All right, so let's let's change up the scenario then. Uh, Dormammu, Galactus, what what's the red demon? Her Trigon. father, Raven's father. Trigon. Trigon. And Dormammu. All those guys I just named. All those guys I just named are in there. Ego's in there as well. Okay, and I sent and I sent and they're all on the same team. And I sent Thanos in with the the full Infinity Gauntlet. Can he take them all? <sighs> no, I I don't know, man. I mean. When you wipe out, point, just too if, you were to, if you were to wipe out all existence, whether or not that would include some of those, like, I don't know, maybe it all depends on who's writing the comic. Um, all right, that's fair. All right, I guess we're going outside of the bounds of the comic explanation right now. We're, right. we're going right into the, uh, the writer's mind to try to decide. I mean, if the Marvel, if, if the forces of Marvel can defeat Galactus, then I'm assuming Thanos with the Infinity Stones. I mean, he's got control over reality and existence itself, so he can snap his fingers and all those characters disappear, so... How do you beat something like that? Whatever, I'm not going there. So, I guess, more than anything, I, I just forgot that Peter Quill at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy 2 sacrifices his powers, because right. other than that, I feel like you know, the way that they showed his powers, I guess they don't really show those powers being utilized off of the planet ego right is that correct what you and see therefore... what you see him do is he plants seeds of himself on a bunch of other planets that when he has enough power ego can then expand those pieces of himself to include to consume those planets as well right. and then he's a god on those planets as well i believe so yes he's, he's basically taking control of them by eating them and then expanding his own existence by doing so um so that's I don't know. Like the, I guess the most you see other than that is when he's flying on his ship and he's like standing on top of his ship and I think he fights off the, the, the race of golden people. He um, smashes them all with one shot. It's kind of crazy actually. Yeah. So yeah, that's interesting and it would be interesting to see Peter with all those powers being able to try to be more of a relevant force. Although I will say he's a little bit underrated in his ability to fight. I think he takes a bad rap for the, uh, the whole freaking out about Gamora getting sacrificed thing and waking Thanos back up when they had that gauntlet, dude. It was on his tip of his fingers, man. Well, here's the, he's keeping the thing up. I mean, who on that planet was going to be able to wield the Infinity Stones? Well, it's not really uh, so much about wielding them as it is getting it away from them, right? Okay, who on that planet was going to keep the gauntlet away from Thanos? Thanos without the gauntlet still mercs. Most of the people in that in that no, he uses the gauntlet to fight in that battle. That's a no. hell of a fight scene, by the way. I'm it getting is, very excited about watching that again. It's very good. And so, like, very good. Yeah, and so I, I without the gauntlet, Thanos. So okay, so we're actually hitting the main thing that I wanted to talk about, and that is the actual abilities of Thanos. Sure. Because early on in these films, as early as. Uh, what would be the first one where Thanos gets kind of referenced? Avengers 1. Is it Avenger Avengers? Avengers 1 I is the first time you see him. Isn't there one where they kind of hint at it before Avengers 1? Because Avengers 1, they actually like show the, the Herald at the steps, you know, kind of scolding Loki. But there's another one where they kind of throw a little hint at it. 
like the end scene of one of the other films. Whatever. Anyway, in Avengers 1, we really see an interesting comparison start to form because we're seeing these ultra-powerful intergalactic beings literally wilt in front of this dude. Loki is, you know, he's got the tesser, he's got the power of that staff. He takes the Tesseract. He's, you know, wreaking havoc on Earth, and yet he's literally whimpering in front of this dude's throne. Right. At that at that point, Thanos has how many Infinity Stones? None. Zero. Why is why is Loki so afraid of him? Because he can box the Hulk. You know what I'm saying? What is it? What is it about Thanos at that point? Like, and then later on, uh, Quill tries to give the Power Stone to that traitor on Xandar in the right. beginning of the movie, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 1. He tries to give it to him, and he mentions something about Ronin. And the guy starts freaking out about Ronin, and it starts this storyline where it ends up um, – I can't remember which character it is – makes some comment about Thanos being – oh, maybe it's Rocket says something because he knows who Gamora is. He like He recognizes her before the team really forms. And he makes some comment about how her dad is the most powerful being in the universe. And I'm like, well, hold on a second. He has no Infinity Stones. He has no ability to even like shoot projectiles or anything. He's just a big, strong guy. So what is it about him at that point in the storyline that has everyone so afraid of him? I, I Maybe it's his army. Yeah, I mean, he'd already been conquesting for however long he'd been alive. But we have, but we have a, a universe where there's beings that can take out that army by themselves. So what is it about Thanos that has everyone just shit in their pants? Who's who's taking that army by themselves? You don't think someone like Captain Marvel could swoop in and just blast all those people to shit? She's been around for decades at that point. Yeah, I don't know. Whether or not Captain you know, Marvel, I mean, you see I, what I'm saying? Like that just doesn't it doesn't make like Captain Marvel almost breaks the cannon for me. Thor, Thor would would smash through those guys with lightning bolts. Like we see him over and over. Look at look at him on the frost giant planet in movie number one. How many frost giants does he take out in that fight? Tons. A hundred. And so I'm like, and like he's not even really sweating in that fight. He's like laughing and taunting people. So I'm like, what is it about Thanos and his army at that point that has everyone shitting their pants so bad? It just it does, it's not really like it's look. Again, I don't like all respect to Thanos, Daddy. That guy is the awesome ultra. Well, I want to see keep saying it. I want to, but see I just the, don't understand why guys like Loki at that point in the story are so afraid of him. Sure, I mean, how did Thanos even take Thor's ship? You've got the remnants of Asgard, which technically they're all immortal gods, just like Loki and Thor. Thanos shows up with the Black Order and has them fucking annihilated. He he somehow ambushed. Uh, what's his name? The guy that can see everything. Um, Heimdall. Heimdall. How do you how do you ambush someone who can literally see the entirety of the universe? Like the the reason why that part is the way that they opened the film is because they couldn't explain how how it happened. Yeah, they had to smash him off camera because like Thor is so powerful, and at that point, Thor that's after Ragnarok, so Thor has found his like lightning god upgrade too. Right, which is something they hadn't been utilizing yet. So Thor is even more powerful than the Thor that I was discussing, in that he's fully harnessed lightning right. in his abilities at that point. So I just like I I have yet to figure out exactly what it is about Thanos at this point, other than his like indomitable like drive. Sure. Like he just he wants this thing so bad, and what we see 
the only real flashbacks we see of him in like military mode are when he's uh, adopting Gamora. And you see that scene where his military is like taking over her home planet and then they like split the people and then shoot one side of them. And I could see where that would strike some fear and where, you know, like normal people, like the people of the Guardians of the Galaxy universe where there's not a whole lot of superpower shit going on, you know, might be worried. But someone like Yondu even would rip through thousands of those guys. Sure. Those Chitari, right? I mean, part of it's, you know, the, the team that he surrounds himself with. I mean, the people that he considers his children and like the damage that he does to his own daughter, even though she's one of the most badass women in the universe, like... I, whether or not the thing, Thanos deserves yeah. the, the the clout that he is given in the movies is is debatable. He, you're right. Like, he doesn't he show true fear. He doesn't like, show like, I'll give anything. You another example. That, Ronan is shown as super powerful, right? And it shows Ronan at his throne, and he's like shit in his pants. And then it's only after Ronan gets possession of the Power Stone for him, and Ronan decides to take it for his own, right? That suddenly he feels like he even has a chance. Right. And Thanos threatens him, like, don't take that or I will come and, you know, rip you up. Like, he throws a threat at him, like, don't you dare. And you could tell Ronan's like, uh-oh, you know, but fuck it. You know, I'm going for it, baby. Yeah, you know, and like, I just, I, I kept questioning it in that moment, too. Because I'm like, dude, you think Thanos, like, Thanos seemed genuinely concerned there? And he should have been. Because now he's fighting a dude with an Infinity Stone and he doesn't have any. So, like... Like, I think Thanos is an awesome character. I'm not trying to crap on him. I'm just trying to understand why Loki with the Tesseract and the staff and Ronan with the Power Stone, you know, still, like, throw respect his way more so than others when all we really see is that he can take a hell of a hit. Let me ask you something. In that scene with um, Thanos taking out the Hulk in the beginning of Infinity War, is he holding the Power Stone at that point? He's Power Stoned up, right? Or is that just a straight-up boxing match? That's I a fair fight. I think it's just a straight-up fight. So that that would be our, our real like view into Thanos not like super like enhanced, right? right? That's just Thanos for himself. And he takes on the Hulk one-on-one. And yet we don't really see anything other than his ability to take a hit and get one. Which to someone like Captain Marvel who can fly around you and throw projectile photon blasts at you sure. and – like, I understand the Avengers don't really have anything to counteract that other than Thor. I don't know. I, I guess even Thor just gets kind of made into his little bitch in that scene. It, but he does have the uh, the four horsemen or whatever those people were. Yeah, the Black the guy's Order. got the telekinetic powers and the other dude's a big-ass monster. I mean, the, the interesting thing when I went through and read the uh, Infinity War comic book, the interesting thing is there isn't this massive fight. What happens is half the people in the world just disappear and everyone's like, what the fuck happened? And then it cuts to Thanos, who's basically bragging about how he has assembled all five Infinity Stones. The heroes have no idea what happened. They're, most of them are just dead. And Thanos has already wiped half of the oh, existence. So, so he gets to the stones before they even knew about the stones. Exactly. That kind of thing. Exactly. The only person who was aware of it was the Silver Surfer, um, and and another character named uh, Adam Strange, uh, who has this, who then afterwards assembles this Infinity Watch to protect You're about Doctor Strange. No, Adam Strange is a, is a different. Maybe not Adam Strange. It's Adam Warlock. Sorry, Adam Warlock. Adam Strange is a character from the DC universe. Adam Warlock uh, is a character of a celestial being that has a lot to do with Thanos and, and that whole space storyline. 
and he's the main character of the Infinity comic books, but um, and he's nowhere to be found in the Marvel universe uh, or Marvel Cinematic Universe. But uh, essentially, what happens in the comic books is Thanos just has the Infinity Gauntlet already assembled. He snaps his fingers and it wipes half of existence from the planet, and he's sitting there bragging about it. And what ends up happening is they explain to him that one, that he is still vulnerable because he is a tangible being that his ability to harness the gauntlet is limited by the fact that he is not a celestial force and so what he does is he uses the infinity gauntlet to uh, shed his mortal coil and become a celestial force on the on the uh, same aspect of like time and infinity and all these great universal concepts he makes himself this godly force but in doing so he loses the infinity gauntlet it drops in the ground and Gamora quickly grabs it and reverses time 24 hours. That's... So he loses the celestial power. Right. Because time has been reversed and she is still holding the gauntlet at the end of it. And then at the end, Adam Warlock shows up and they decide to form the Infinity Watch and gives each of his followers one of the stones. So he gives Drax the power stone. He gives Moon Dragon the... They the... give Drax a power stone? Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, um, man, you could not do that with film. And, and Adam Warlock gives himself the Mind Stone. He puts it in his forehead. That's where they got the idea to give Vision the Mind Stone in his forehead. They took that straight from Adam Warlock. Um, yeah. So, like, and then and then you have two other Infinity War comic books that were spawned off of this, which was uh, the Infinity Gauntlet and then Infinity Crusade, which both of those are extreme tangents compared to what we actually get in the movies. So you're telling me that the entire storyline that has led to the greatest cinematic endeavor in the history of film in the comic books is actually Thanos already has the stones before any storyline develops. He snaps everyone out of uh, half people out of existence and then decides I'm not powerful enough. And in making himself more powerful, he just drops the glove on the ground. Yep. Where his daughter picks it up, rewinds time and the crisis is averted. Yep. That's the storyline. None of the characters are even aware of what happens until someone who remembers this, this, someone who is, I think it's Adam Warlock, is able to remember it all, explains it to them. And then in the Infinity, in the Infinity Gauntlet, someone reassembles the stones. I think it's, uh, I think there's two Thanoses. One of the Thanos travels back in time or forward in time or something. So there's two Thanoses that are working together to assemble the Infinity Gauntlet. The heroes are aware of it. They're trying to stop them. And what ends up happening is Adam Warlock gets the Infinity Gauntlet, and I think he creates a good and an evil side of himself. And uh, and they gets, both have Infinity Gauntlets. And it gets weird. They stop Thanos. Um, and then the Infinity Crusade is the evil side of himself, or the good side, I can't remember, ends up like capturing all five Infinity Stones. And that, the Infinity Crusade, is when all of the heroes go together to go fight this massive evil force, and Thanos is there helping them, I think. Um, but Thanos helps the good guys. Yeah, because the because the, I don't know, it's it gets weird. Comics are weird. Okay. Well, let me just say I'm very glad with the way they did. It. I think they nailed it in these yeah. films. Although I could see them at some point coming back for a like a 20 minute short in an alternate universe where they just play that out and it's yeah. literally Thanos already has them the stones. He just kind of finds them in different locations, snaps everyone out of the universe, and then Gamora's like, nope, and then rewinds time and we're well, all like, it's cool. nebula What's the whole point the of writing that in the first place. It's Nebula is the one that saves the world in the comics. So uh, original Guardians of the Galaxy, what's the theme? The uh, OGs. It's the original Guardians of the Galaxy. I don't even remember. It's it's. I don't. I never read them. I thought you said it was Yondu. It is Yondu, but I don't. I don't know the rest of them. 
I think this is fair to know, um, just in that, you know, what we're really looking at in these movies, these great movies with incredible soundtrack, is the fake Guardians of the Galaxy. These guys are not their reals. They're imposters. Yandu got a bad rap. It's probably him and Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger. And, and really, it's the uh, storyline of The Expendables. That's the original Guardians of the Galaxy. It's The Expendables. Antonio Banderas makes an appearance, even though he's not really even that much of an action hero. I'll give him Sorrel. So the original right, members of the Guardians of the Galaxy are Major Vance Astro, Charlie 27, which is a robot, Martin X, Yondu, Starhawk, Nikki, Alita Ogord, Replica, Talon, Yellow Jacket, and Gina Drake from 1969. Let me, let me just say uh, I'm glad with the way they did it. The movies <laughs> have improved on the comics. Um, okay, so... Yeah, I think that that really kind of sums up what I wanted to dive into a lot of. Um, something else I did want to dive into briefly here before we wrap it up. It will be a little bit of a shorter episode. I think we're coming up on an hour, but um, just we've touched on it a little bit with Thanos. We touched on it a little bit with Drax. I want to get my head around the um, the endurance and stamina, like the like the ability of these characters to take hits. And let me ask you something. Does it bother you the way you see it portrayed on screen? And I'm going to point out certain situations. Drax getting dragged behind the ship when they're crash landing after the whole thing with the Sovereign. Right? right. He's going into trees at space speeds. Right. Like thousands of miles an hour as they're crashing. This dude's getting smashed into giant oaks and shit. And he just stands up and laughs. Okay. Um, the... Uh, uh, Captain America jumping out of like the 20th story in Winter Soldier. He jumps out of the elevator down onto the ground and all that he uses to protect himself is his vibranium shield. And yet he just stands up and goes, ow. And but the shield off. absorbs vibrations. So that one I'm okay with. Come on, dude. <laughs> he falls halfway down a skyscraper and gets up and runs away. Yeah, but the Black Panther's uh, doing shit like that in Civil War jumping off buildings and landing softly on his feet because the vibranium is a stupid material that absorbs vibrations. Like it absorbs impact essentially. So that black Panther's is another good one. Like where the car chase scene and he's just like flying through the air and his legs don't break and like none of that. Okay. Let me, let me point out some more here. Drax, Drax did annoy me when I first watched it. It was dumb. Yeah. I was like, why did you guys put that in there? Like, why is that in there? Like, cause it just, it makes me question stuff. And like, all of a sudden I'm looking at, Captain America getting shot by Bucky over and over again. And I'm like, okay, so Captain America's not bulletproof. I guess that makes sense. But he can heal, I assume, quickly enough for where a bullet can't kill him. Like, what's his healing ability, right? Like, and here's the thing. I've seen Hulk take bullets, but then I watched the Hulk, the Incredible Hulk, and we've got, like, straight up 50 cals bouncing off this dude. And so, like, I just don't understand which which of these guys are bulletproof. How's that for a starting point? Like, name all the guys in the in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that you can guarantee me are bulletproof. If I took a gun, put it up to them, it's bouncing off. It's not penetrating. Give me the list. Uh, I, I mean, Drax. I mean, in the films, I mean, it's going to be a short list. It's going to be like Drax, Hulk. Does Hulk ever get shot? I don't remember if we ever see Hulk get shot. He, in the Incredible Hulk, he's just getting unloaded on, and I guess you got to count those as cannon. Right, but they're bouncing off his skin. Right, so he's bulletproof. He's, he's bulletproof. Thanos for sure. Uh, Thor for sure. 
Um, like obviously, like Wait, here's Thor, the Thor's bulletproof. Hold on, hold on. Thor's Thor has to be bulletproof. Yeah. What what's what what have we seen him get hit? He gets hit. So let me let me just tell you this. Okay, obviously. The, what you're struggling with here is the fact the same thing that people struggle with in the comics where depending on who's writing him things will behave differently like for example in thor we believe we we should suspect that thor should be bulletproof if he's just as strong as anyone else he can take the hits of anyone else he's probably bulletproof but in thor one we see him get tased and we know how tasers work is that it shoots a prong inside your skin and shoots an electrical current yeah. inside of it yeah, that's a- so it should, and, and he's a god of thunder. So what the hell is that shit? So it why shouldn't. Is it, why is it taser limiting? Him? And at the same time, we also, even if you're going to say, okay, whatever, electrical current, we also see him freak out in the hotel room. And so, well, I guess both of those times he wasn't worthy, so he didn't have his powers. Never mind. Um, yeah, that's fair. Uh, well, hold on though. Hold on though, because they do use it to restrain him on Sakar. Don't they put a device on him that zaps him when he does anything bad? Yeah. So, so it stands up and he's fully powered at that point. So what's the deal there? Why, why is electricity something that can rein in the God of thunder? It's a different kind of electricity. I don't know. He can send lightning bolts coursing through his eyeballs and through his whole body. He can use his body as a freaking lightning rod. And yet when someone tases him, he goes down like a bitch. (laughs) I don't understand. (laughs) Like, like you just like, here's my problem with it. I understand that at some point you have to suspend your disbelief. And I can hear Tyler right now being like, you have to suspend your disbelief, dude. Like, it's just a movie. However, I'm like, dude, it's not that hard to just come up with something else to restrain him. Right. Like, at some point, you shouldn't make me suspend my disbelief over something that stupid. Right. Because they could come up with some technology on Sakaar that handcuffs his hand behind his back. And he's just too limited to do anything. Okay, I'll accept that. But the fact that they put something into him where he can move around fully and yet they just keep tasing him. And I'm yeah. like, that's the one thing you should not have used to restrain him. And now you're asking me to suspend my disbelief. And I'm like, kiss my ass. Like, that's annoying. There's no way the God of Thunder should be having this problem. Well, doesn't So doesn't, go back to your list. Especially because like, it's not like they injected it on him either. Isn't that something that Valkyrie like just tosses on his skin? She just kind of throws it like a disc and it lands on his neck and it electrocutes him? I think so, yeah. Like they have it like pinned on his neck just like Marvel's, Captain Marvel's where they like limit her power it's, or whatever. It's not but... something that's literally like burrowed into your skin. I don't know. You're right. It's it's dumb. You have to suspend your disbelief in, in comics and, depending yeah. on who's writing it. And I it. guess like, – and I will. I, it's not ruining up. the movies, but I don't there's, appreciate it. There's a very popular comic book franchise called Deadpool Kills in which Deadpool kills the entire Marvel Universe. He'll go through and kill Wolverine. He'll kill all these people. And one of the people he kills is Thanos. Now, Deadpool probably really? shouldn't be able to kill Thanos, right? He's got swords and he's got human strength, like an average, re- like he's, he's just a dude. But in this comic, they explain, oh, no, he kills Thanos. It's like, sure. So depending on who's writing the comic book, anything is technically possible. Um, right. But we're going only on cinematic universe. Sure, sure. And I'm trying to understand how you can establish that Thor can fall thousands of 30,000 feet off the helicarrier and smash into an open field and be fine. And yet when somebody tases him as the God of lightning, he yeah. goes down like a sack of potatoes. I right. just don't understand how you can justify one over the other. I get where you have to let, you have to be able to just tune it out at some point. I'm just saying, explain that on a car. They have some vibranium and they made cuffs that he can't snap or something like that. Done. How hard was that? It sure. took me two seconds to brainstorm that. Like yeah. vibranium is rare on earth. It doesn't mean it's rare in the universe. A car probably has some like slap some cuffs on him. I, I don't know. Like, I guess you were willing to make him fat for the whole end game movie, but you're not willing to just cuff him. 
You have, to, you have to make me forget that tasers shouldn't work on them. All right. Anyway, so go back to your list. Who's who's bulletproof? You I, said Thor. Yeah, Thor's definitely bulletproof. If if Thor's bulletproof, Hulk. then Loki's bulletproof. Anyone on any Asgardian is probably bulletproof. Um, yeah, Captain Marvel has to be. Uh, Black Panther. Captain Marvel has defense now. I thought she was just a photon blaster. She's she, she can. I mean, she headbutts Thanos, right? I mean, she's got. Yeah. She's I, just I as sh- physically strong. Okay. All right. Fine. She's bulletproof too. Then. <laughs> Who else? Uh, Black Panther with the suit on, obviously. Yeah, Vision. Uh, definitely not Quicksilver. Okay. Um, <laughs> ooh, ooh, that's that hit a little too close. Home. <laughs> all right, who? All right, so who's not bulletproof? We'll call this every, the Quicksilver. Everyone list. else. Uh, everyone else. Fucking Captain America. So, Bucky Barnes. So Captain America's not bulletproof. We've seen him take his. Right. I guess he's the closest thing to bulletproof while not being bulletproof because right. he takes bullets. I mean, Iron Man in his suit of armor will deflect bullets, but Iron Man outside his suit of armor, I guess he's just Tony Stark at that point. Pepper Potts. Everyone else is... is, uh, Did you just bother to say Pepper Potts? Well, hold on a second, actually, because she gets the... uh, The rescue armor? No, no, no. She gets the firepowers in Iron Man 3. That never come up again. They get rid of those, don't they? They never explain. I think he says that he's confident that he can get rid of it, and I'm sure that he just gets rid of it. Sure. I think that's how they explain it. It's like, oh, I'll look into fixing that for you. But hold on a second. Maybe don't. Like, it seems like a pretty cool power. The dude could breathe fire in that one, by the way. Yeah. I totally forgot about that. Um, yeah. I mean, to some extent, I guess I was watching Captain America just taking bullets to the to the, to the torso. And I was sitting there like, okay, so he's not bulletproof. I guess that explains why he runs and dodges and stuff. But then you see Thor kind of running around trying to avoid shots. And I'm like, why? If, like, what happens if I put a gun point blank up Thor's face and pull the trigger? Does it just bounce off? I would assume it must, right? Yeah, it would probably bounce off. I don't know about Gamora. I would say that Gamora's probably bulletproof as well. Um, but I don't know. Yandu's probably not yeah, bulletproof. It's interesting. Know. It's interesting. And again, Tyler's going to be listening to this back in his car, you know, or I guess when he's editing and he's going to be like, these sons of bitches, they, they refuse to suspend the disbelief. They took advantage of me not being here <laughs> to to have, allow the disbelief to seep in. Sure, but but more than anything, uh, highly recommend, highly highly recommend, uh, given this chronological viewing order, a shot if you haven't done it before and you got some time. Uh, the whole country is frozen at the moment, so and we're in the middle of a pandemic still, so um, you probably have some time at some point. Um, Brian, did you watch the? Justice League trailer. A new Justice League trailer came out? Came out yesterday. No. You gotta uh-huh. watch it. We'll talk about it next week. It's cool. so it's the Zack Snyder's Justice League. It's for the it comes out in like three weeks or it's like comes out like a oh, month. Oh, that's Sorry. the uh the director's cut. The Snyder cut. So so it's the same film, it's just director's so, cut. Same film, director's cut, four hours long. Um and they just released the new trailer and it looks good. I'm really excited for it. Me too, man. Hopefully DC can come in and be a competitor because there's nothing better in this in this country than competition. I'm learning a lot about that, about our economy, but competition really raises the quality of everything. So don't be afraid of competition because it just forces people to push quality. And DC and Marvel actually competing is a beautiful thing. Right. I mean, if you look uh, at you look at Evan Peters' Quicksilver from Days of Future Past, 
that probably that was not going to happen. That highlight of that film franchise wasn't going to happen until uh, Kevin Feige announced that Quicksilver was going to be in his Avengers two film. They were yeah, going to use and let's, uh, and let's be real here. There's there's Marvel truthers and there's DC truthers and there's people in between. But really, you don't have to be either one. You can just right. enjoy good good quality shit getting produced. So everybody should be rooting for DC to produce good stuff. It should suck when they don't produce good stuff because we want more Marvel-style content and quality content about different heroes. So everybody root for DC. I'm really excited about this director's cut. I know Tyler's hyped on it, so we probably shouldn't go too far down that rabbit hole unless he's here to have a voice because this is his baby. Um, but I will look at that. Um, anything that you have been watching uh, that you want to recommend or reading or anything like that? Uh, let's see. Reading, I've, I've been reading a lot of comics. I just caught up on my. I've, I haven't been reading the, the the Last God comic book that I recommended to you. You still have to read. I just caught up on the last couple months of that, which is just an incredible comic book. Um, I finally went through and finished the '92 X Men comic on Disney Plus. The X Men X Men cartoon. Remember the old X Men cartoon you used to watch when you were kids? Yeah, it's on Disney Plus. So I went through and finished that. I started watching Sherlock. I'd already watched all of Sherlock, but I, I, my parents were looking for something to watch, so I started watching Sherlock with them. They just finished the first episode last night. Um, yeah, that's all for me. What about you? Uh, mainly these Marvel ones. I'm <clears throat> coming up on the end of a term here for my master's program, so I should have some more time here in the month of March to, to you know consume stuff, maybe pick up some video games. It's been a little while. Hey, let me ask you, is there any latest with Cyberpunk? Anything happened with them? I, or I they haven't just heard... fallen out of relevance i have not heard it i know that they released two patches since the last time i played it i have not picked it back up as you shouldn't until like we're hearing stuff that says that they're a quality game so right. don't really blame you there um reason why i ask is i'm thinking we're getting closer and closer to a day where ps5s will actually be fucking available anyone out there got a ps5 they can let me borrow i'd love to try one out yeah um you know it seems like the storylines last few months have been the same no ps5s yes covid well, they keep coming out, but then they keep getting bought by scalpers that then turn around and put them on the market for $1,000. Are those still selling is the real I, question. I have no idea. All right. It's, well, it's anyway, on Sony anyone's got to, a PS5 on, that they can send me. It's on Sony to produce a surplus of consoles that will allow it to break into the open market so that the, the value can come down. As long as, they, as long as they keep selling them fucking like 20 at a time, scalpers are going to continue to consume them and, and re, resell them. But it's gotta be the problem tough too is, with the uh, the dip in production. Due to COVID, exactly, so. COVID's fucking up the production, so it's just gonna be a while until PS Five is readily available. Well, hey, on the bright side, it gives uh, Cyberpunk a chance to catch up and actually produce something worth playing. Um, I, I have not given up hope on that. I just, you know, got it. Got to produce a finished product, there, guys. Uh, other than that, no, no real reading going on. Tyler's recommendations. Tyler would highly recommend. Uh, that you guys go watch the movie Warrior, uh, the movie Troy, um, Expendables. Tyler thinks it, you know it's just a top quality series of movies. He, he thinks Arnold Schwarzenegger is one of the greatest actors in the world, and Stallone. That guy could take a punch to the face. My God! Don't forget, um, don't forget. Tyler changed his mind 100 percent about Survivor too. He recommends Survivor as well. Survivor's a great show. Survivor's a great show. Good, good uh, recommendation, Tyler, Tyler. Tyler. Oh, I just got a text from Tyler that said that uh, I was right and he was wrong about that. Um, and he wanted me to make sure that I mentioned that on the air. So he also wanted me to talk about Brandon Sanderson for the next like half hour. Um, yeah, he did say that he wanted a Brandon Sanderson <laughs> mention. 
So, you know, shout out to Brandon Sanderson's books. Those are amazing. And, uh, and Tyler, thanks for your recommendations, man. We got them on here for you, buddy. Um, other than that, guys, uh, we'll go ahead and wrap it there. Uh, appreciate you tuning in. Next week, we'll all be back. Um, I, I'm guessing we'll probably dive down into award season and, and talking about snubs and oh, yeah. you know, deserved praises and things like that. But really a topic that we didn't want to leave Tyler out on. So, um, you know, tune in next week. And uh, thanks for listening, guys. Thanks, everyone. Bye.